0: On Easter Sunday, the ABC published an online article by Stan Grant in which he meditated on affliction. In affliction, he said, I am presented with a choice to surrender to the hopelessness brought upon us or to reach out for hope. As a First Nation person and a Christian, he went on to say, ...there is no more more chilling prayer than the prayer of the forsaken. He quotes the French philosopher and Christian mystic Simone Weil... ...who called affliction the chill of indifference. The metallic chill that freezes all those it touches... ...down to the depths of their soul. It deprives the victims of their personality and turns them into things. Stan named up groups of people within our own society who know the cold touch of affliction. They include his own First Nations people, our poor, our sick, our abused, and those who experience racism and stigma. From out of his experience as a First Nation person, he shared that the afflicted cry out, where is God? How can a God who wills all allow such horror? I don't doubt God's existence, Stan said, but I must ask, is God just? Psalm 23 asks a similar question. Why do good people suffer while those who do bad things seem to get it easy? The Bible tells us the story of Job who suffered terrible affliction. And um, often I think we can relate to some, maybe not the exact story of Job, but that sense of things going wrong in our lives. In the moment, he lost his children, all of them. Some were attacked and killed and the rest died in a natural disaster. He lost his livelihood and then he lost his health, suffering painfully from sores all over his body. In his pain and suffering, he cried out, I shout for help, God, and get no answer. I stand to face you in protest and you give me a blank look. I, you've turned into my tormentor. You slapped me around, knocked me about. You raised me up so I was riding high and then you dropped me and I crashed. I know you're determined to kill me, to put me six feet under. What did I do to deserve this? Did I ever hit anyone who was calling for help? Haven't I wept for those who live a hard life? Been hard, heart sick with, over the lot of the poor? But where did it get me? I expected good, but evil showed up. I looked for light, but darkness fell. My stomach's in a constant churning, never settles down. Each day confronts me with more suffering. I walk under a black cloud. The sun is gone. I stand in the congregation and I protest. I howl with the jackals. I hoot with the owls. I'm black and blue all over, burning up with fever. My fiddle plays nothing but the blues. My mouth harp wails, laments. We may not use those words all the time, but sometimes I think we echo them in our pain. Where is God? Where is God when we experience social exclusion? Or when someone we love dies young or dies in great pain? Or someone hurts us badly or we're injured in an accident or we become really sick or we lose our job and struggle to get another one, or we're forced to leave the place we're called home and those we've been, who've been our friends, or, or there are so many ways we suffer and feel the chill of indifference. Where is God? Who is God? In the passage we are thinking about today, Matthew wants us to get a glimpse of who God is and where He is when we suffer. He does this by telling the stories we've heard of Jesus' encounter with three people suffering in different ways a Jewish leper who'd endured physical pain and social isolation for a long time, a centurion who was an outsider in the Jewish community where he lived and a sick mother-in-law. Matthew wants us to help us see that God in human form is Emmanuel, God with us. That's who Jesus is. God present with us in our various experiences of affliction. These stories come immediately after Jesus had preached the sermon that set out what it means to live in God's kingdom here on earth, about who God is and the kind of people he wants us to be. Through his sermon, Jesus revealed a fundamental part of who he is. Matthew says that when Jesus had finished teaching these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one with authority. Not as their teachers of the law. People were amazed. What he taught about God and his love, it was radical and and how God wants us to love us like other people. Jesus took their breath away. They were gobsmacked, stunned, excited, shocked. And why? Other rabbis didn't teach from their own authority. When they taught, they said things like, according to Moses or according to so-and-so, some respected scholar. But Jesus spoke in his own right. He spoke with the authority of God as the king of the kingdom of God. And he said things like, you've heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But I tell you, he said. You've heard it said, but I tell you. I tell you the truth. I tell you. The three stories we're looking at today show him putting his words into action. Because that was the other thing that the crowd were amazed about. He lived what he said. He demonstrated his authority as the son of God, being Emmanuel, god With us. With us in our pain. With us in the nightmares where we relive our trauma. With us when we feel we don't belong anywhere. With us in our powerlessness. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord... If you are willing, you can make me clean. This man was a social outcast. He lived in the chill of indifference. He never lived away from it. He was forced to live alone on the outside of his community. His appearance marked him as someone to avoid. Not just his physical disfigurement and scarring... He had to wear rags for clothes to identify him as a leper. And he had to keep the lower, we sort of know about this from COVID, the lower part of his face covered whenever anyone came near him. And when anyone came near, he had to shout what I think must have become terrible words every time he said them. Unclean. Unclean so that people knew to stay away from him. When COVID-19 came along, certain words gained new meaning for us. Social distancing, lockdown, isolate. This leper knew all about social distancing, even though they didn't use those words. He knew what lockdown meant In fact, he knew it as lockout. The Gospel of Luke tells us that this man had been a leper for a long time. He was full of leprosy. This means that he'd been physically and socially isolated from people for a long time. When people are socially isolated, it affects their mental health. We're seeing that play out after COVID and lockdown... Lack of touch and human interaction can increase anxiety and depression and sleep disturbance. No one cared for this man. No one helped ease his pain and suffering as it got worse and worse. He was alone. His condition also prevented him from worshipping God in the temple. Most people viewed his illness and disfigurement as a physical embodiment of sin. If someone had an infectious skin condition, they had to be examined by a priest. If the priest determined that the person had a defiling skin disease, he pronounced them ceremonially unclean. Later, if that person stopped being infectious and got better, the priest had to re-examine them and then they had to go through various religious um, rituals as part of becoming clean and worthy to live in their community again. In spite of his isolation, somehow this unclean, afflicted man heard about what Jesus was saying and doing. So he realised that somehow Jesus was his only hope – And he came and knelt before him. He couldn't worship God in the temple, but he felt able to come and kneel at the feet of Jesus and worship. Without any expectations, without demanding, he humbly asked Jesus to make him clean. Jesus had just taught his followers, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This leper was physically, socially and I think probably mentally as well as spiritually isolated. But he humbly put into practice what Jesus had just taught his disciples to do. He asked. Faced with this unclean social outcast at his feet, what did Jesus do? Who was he in that moment? Jesus could have cleansed that man with just a word. He didn't have to touch him. After all, anyone who touched someone who was unclean immediately became unclean. But this man needed to be touched. He needed to feel the warmth of connecting with another person. He needed to lose the chill of indifference. He'd lived too long with it. How long had it been since someone reached out and touched him in love? Jesus knew. He knew what the man needed. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. God is with the afflicted, not apart from them, with them. Early in Jesus' sermon, he'd said that he came to fulfil the law and the prophets. He'd said that God gives good gifts to those who ask him. In faith, with reverence and without demanding, the leper asked Jesus gave him what he asked without hesitation. He put into action what the law and the prophets spoke about. He led by example. Jesus wants his followers, and that includes you and me, to reach past stigma, prejudice and self-preservation to connect with people in their need. And he showed them how to do that. The other thing Jesus did was to tell the leper to show himself to the priest as commanded in the law of Moses, as a testimony to them. The Jewish religion couldn't cure leprosy. In that time, no one could cure it, only God. Jesus wanted the cured leper's cleansed body to testify to the truth that God is with the afflicted. God is with us. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralysed and in terrible suffering. Capernaum was a thriving, busy market town that was home to both Jews and non-Jews. Being on the trade route between Damascus and Egypt, it was a Roman military garrison comprising Syrian soldiers who were stationed there to collect customs, duties and taxes. This was a town under enemy occupation. The soldiers could force those in the crowd to obey their wishes anywhere, anytime. Not only were they the enemy, they were also unclean in the eyes of the Jews. They didn't worship the one true God. They weren't the chosen children of Abraham with whom God had entered into covenant relationship. But Jesus had told his followers to love their enemies and pray for those who give them a hard time. He told them that this is what it means to become children of their father in heaven, not the fact that they were descendants of Abraham. Abraham. Face to face with an enemy soldier, the victor, the one in charge. What did Jesus do? Who was he in that moment? The crowd was watching and evaluating. Interestingly, this soldier didn't throw his weight around. He didn't demand anything. We know from Luke that he was a God-fearing man who'd in fact built the synagogue in Capernaum. He even cared deeply for a servant in his household, as if the servant was a member of his own family. Because this servant was suffering terribly and about to die, the centurion was desperate enough to stand in front of all the people and admit that he had a need only Jesus could meet. Jesus didn't see an enemy. He saw the person inside the uniform. He heard his desperation. He knew this man's heart. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? Just asking this question would have shocked people in the crowd. Jesus was willing to spend time in this Gentiles company to go with him and enter his unclean house in the unclean part of town. But Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, God with the afflicted. This soldier had heard and seen enough of Jesus to recognise the truth of who he was, the Son of God with the authority to act as only God can. With incredible faith and humility, this enemy of the Jewish people replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority With servants under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. The writer of the Hebrews said that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The writer of Hebrews noted that by faith people become heirs of the righteousness that is in keeping with the faith. Jesus publicly acknowledged the centurion's faith, the kind of faith that made him a child of God and an heir of righteousness. What the Jews thought was just theirs was his too. Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found faith like this in Israel. And he goes on to talk about the feast that this man would enjoy. But that some who thought that they were going to be there wouldn't be. The banquet imagery is a way of describing the fellowship and celebration of participation with the people of God at the end of the age. It was a feast to be shared with the Messiah who brings salvation and freedom to God's people. The Jews of that time were hoping for a Messiah who'd free them from Roman occupation... Yet Jesus said of this man who represented Rome, you will be at the Messiah's banquet. Jesus was teaching his people an important lesson. Faith is the key to entry into the banquet and faith is the key to experiencing the power of God. Then and now. What many Jews had lost sight of was that God's promised blessing to Abraham and his children wasn't just for them. Back in the time of Abraham, God had promised to make him a great nation and to bless him. He said, I will make your name great. You will be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Jesus came to fulfil that promise. As God in human form, He blesses, saves, and heals all those who have faith to believe in Him. Jesus was warning his Jewish listeners about becoming blind to God's kingdom purposes, about hoarding God's blessings for themselves, and excluding others from the blessings that are available to anyone who believes in Him. Didn't Jesus? It's also a warning for us here and citywide. Jesus does not want us to exclude and sideline people because they're not like us. That's not how God's kingdom works. Jesus said to his followers, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So in everything Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. The fruit of Jesus' actions matched his words. He didn't judge. He responded with love and treated this man in the same way he wanted to be treated, with acceptance and compassion, because God is love. Because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God with the afflicted, no matter who they are. No matter who we are. Jesus lived what he taught and he asks us who follow him to live as he lived. Where is God? Matt pointed me to a a lovely quote by Bono in, from, 19, from 2020. God is in the slums, in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives and God is with us if we are with them. Jesus, God in human form, calls us to respond to people where they are, in their need. And not with indifference because of the labels we've put on them. And finally, we come to Peter's mother-in-law. The leper and the centurion were both outsiders in some way. Peter's mother-in-law wasn't an outsider. She was part of a family who loved her. She knew Jesus and he knew her. But she was a woman with an illness that was sufficiently um, devastating that it put her into bed. In Jesus' time, people didn't consider women as important as men. This story and other gospel stories show that Jesus doesn't favour men over women, or vice versa. He loves and cares for everyone equally. Whether we are male or female, have power or not, Jesus sees us. He hears us. He loves us. Jesus saw and heard the mother's pain and suffering. He saw and heard the concern of Peter and his wife as they cared for her. Jesus had been out and about all day. No doubt he was tired. It seems that neither Peter nor his mother-in-law asked Jesus to help her. Perhaps they thought her need was too small to bother him. don't know. Yet he gave of himself and reached out to this woman with compassion. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. No one's suffering is too small or inconsequential for Jesus. He lived what he taught. He wants us to live as he lives. He wants us to readily reach out with compassion to help and serve others who are in need, Although the disciples had answered the call to follow Jesus, they still had their family lives and the measure of domestic illness, like we do. The story of Peter's mother-in-law must have encouraged them greatly to pray for healing among their nearest and dearest. It can also encourage us to lay hands on people and pray for healing for those who are part of our lives. Michael Green, who's written a commentary on Matthew, says this, We can never be dogmatic about when God will heal and when he will not. But what happened regularly and without a failure rate in the life of Jesus does happen occasionally and with many failures when his disciples pray in faith and call on God to heal. It is a sign of the kingdom. We shouldn't be surprised... If we, sorry, we should be surprised if we never see it. We are in a betwixt and between state in this mortal life, Michael says. We shall see the pain and the failure, but we shall also see the power and the glory, at least sometimes, if we maintain that attitude of simple trust in the Heavenly Father who Jesus so movingly displayed. At the start of today's message, I quoted from Stan Grant's article, The Afflicted Cry Out, Where is God? Is God just? Let me finish with his answer. He says, This question has taken me to the darkest depths of my soul, and there in my abandonment I know I am not alone. At Easter, I look to the meaning of the cross. Jesus died in a death of affliction. My God, why have you forsaken me? I was raised by people with hope in God, he says. A hard hope. The despairing hope of a people forsaken. A people who wait for God's justice. The God, and God answers, I am there. With the afflicted. The God I know is with God's people, those in the image of God, because God is love. And the hard truth is that God is there too for those who bring affliction on us. God judges the sufferers and the afflictors. We are implicated in a fallen world, and each is offered God's love. Each of us is offered God's love. Let's pray. Lord, you are in this place. Fill us with your power. Cover us with your peace. Show us your presence. Lord, help us to know we are in your hands. We are under your protection. We are covered by your love. Lord, we ask you today to deliver us from evil, to guide us in our travels, to defend us from harm. Lord, give us now eyes to see the invisible, ears to hear your call, hands to do your work, and hearts to respond to your love. Amen.